The following is a conversation between Bryce and Ray, Charlie Schwab, and Oliver Williams, all students currently studying at Drake University. To support us, please follow the Drake Broadcasting System on any social media platforms you use. And now, please enjoy this episode of the In Case You Missed It podcast. Welcome back. Today is Monday, February 13th, 2023. I'm once again joined by Oliver Williams. Hello. And Charlie Schwab. Hi. And you are listening to the third episode of the In Case You Missed It podcast. Let's see what you missed. Meredith Hall resumed construction this past week. I attempted to get an idea of where they're at timeline-wise, but the Drake page dedicated to providing constant updates and a firm timeline is currently blank. The on-campus updates page does have one update from October of 2021, so that's the last we've heard from them. Funny enough, the main page still says the project will begin following the end of the spring 2022 semester and will finish in time for the start of the spring 2023 semester. Mm -hmm. So they haven't updated that either. Now, in a September Times Delphic article, an update was given by Katherine Staub. I'll read it now. Quote, it's early in the process, but so far the renovations are on schedule, School of Journalism and Mass Communication Dean Katherine Staub said. Staub also said that supply chain demand and shortages are changing some of the restoration plans. Staff had considered adding cushions to the seats in the lecture halls, but final construction costs will determine if that will be an option. The article went on to say that students should expect the renovations to be complete by the start of next school year. So, with their last public update outside of that Times Delphic article, at least that I could find in terms of a timeline on completion being in September, and then obviously October previously, do you guys believe that the Meredith renovations will be delayed further, or do you think they will actually be done come next academic school year? I think they'll be delayed. If they're already this far behind, it doesn't look like they're doing like a lot of stuff with Meredith. Yeah. Then again, I haven't been inside the building, but mm. I think they're going to take their time with that. I've personally had very bad experiences with construction companies. I live up in Minnesota. They, I mean, they don't, they weren't working on it because it was like winter and they yeah. just don't work on stuff yeah. during the winter. Personally, like my house like uh, burnt down and we had to like fight tooth and nail for a construction company Jeez. to work on fixing it. It took them two and a half years. It wasn't like a burnt down house. It yeah. was literally, it was just the garage was burnt down and then they had to clean up the inside and we got new flooring. Wow. And they just, I mean, two they and take all the time. Yes. Wow. And that was time where, like, we thought it would take, like, six months. Talk about, we thought it would take a year. It just kept, you know, getting delayed mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. and over again. I feel like... all this stuff with, like, zoning, all these procedures. So, I mean, it's not all, like, just laziness of construction, but there's a lot more stuff that goes into it, and they take their time with it. Yeah. Or my heart says it's going to be done because mm-hmm. I want it to be done. You know, journalism is my primary major alongside business, and uh, as much as Meredith East is – a great substitute for what it is. I mean, it's fulfilled the purposes. We still have all the same access to stuff that we would have in the J school here, but just in terms of ease and having a better place for the journalism uh, school to call home, I do kind of believe it'll be done, but also my brain says kind of what you're saying, Oliver, and what you're saying, Charlie, where with them already having delayed it, 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 it isn't an impossibility that they'll say, okay, spring 2024, it'll be done. 
Yeah. My secondary major used to be digital media production, so that's a part of the journalism school. I switched it to secondary education, but I don't miss the Meredith classes. Like, they yeah. were so hot all the time. <laughs> yeah. And, like... that That's one of the focuses of the renovation is the HVAC system to make... Because there were so many issues in, in classes I had in the J school with, like... I had an economics class up there, and every time we went up there, it would literally... You'd have to, like, strip down to... Even in the middle of the winter, it'd be like 95 degrees. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the biggest focus of the of the renovation. Yeah, I would hope so. Um, but if they need to take more time to fix that, you know, I'm okay with them doing it because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just so bad. Really, I think that it probably will be done by spring. I mean, they've already delayed by like six months, yeah. really, if they're hoping to be open by summer 2023 yeah. or fall. Yeah. But it is a little concerning that they have a dedicated website that hasn't been updated and like the yeah the only yeah. update we have is from that, that was interesting to me is that like they have a whole page there that says it's like it obviously the the title that hasn't been updated that says it, it would be done already uh-huh. um but alongside that it has like three links it has facts and then it has on-campus updates and then it has timeline and both timeline and on-campus updates have not been updated for almost two years I right. think that's kind of like the trend with uh, Drake University website pages is a lot of the times they create pages for yeah. like clubs and stuff and then no one updates the yep. links yep. or <laughs> anything uh-huh. like that. So, yeah. Our first major news headline of the day comes from an article published on Drake University's website this past week. Marty Martin made a big announcement in a Des Moines school board meeting on February 7th unveiling the name of a brand new stadium to be built alongside the Knapp Center. The official name of the stadium will be the Mediacom Stadium, this paying tribute to Mediacom Communications, a cable, TV, and internet provider in Iowa. Drake University has donated the land for this project. They'll help provide parking and operational infrastructure, and they have committed to help raise the significant funds needed beyond taxpayers' investment. The stadium, located on the Drake campus near the corner of Forest Avenue and 25th Street, is slated to open in the fall of 2023. Designed to seat 4,000 spectators, the stadium will be the new home field for DMPS football, soccer, and other secondary school activities, as well as the Drake Bulldogs men's and women's soccer teams. Now, interestingly enough, I came across this story through a KCCI Facebook post, and every single comment I found underneath it was negative. One comment read, aka spotty overpriced and poor service field question mark shall we expect $20 hot dogs soggy <laughs> popcorn and the concession stands to be out of service at random times with no projected time of reopening another one read the game will start somewhere between 8 p.m and 5 a.m this distaste <laughs> towards mediacom comes as many who have used their services have experienced an unreliable overpriced provider one comment even claimed that mediacom is the least liked business in iowa Other angry comments ranted about how the stadium is not a necessity for Des Moines Public Schools, claiming that that most schools in the area have perfectly fine athletic fields and that this level of taxpayer and donor spending should be put into education first. Mm. What are your guys' thoughts? Well, this is kind of hilarious to me because I had Mediacom for cable for like a solid two weeks in the house that burned down. Oh. (laughs) So that's why I only had it for two weeks because it was like 2018 when people still use cable. We just moved in. We're like, okay. Like, Mediacom was the only service provider in the area, mm-hmm. and it was asked, like, the, uh, <laughs> it was really bad. 
yeah. the uh, guide, like it looked like it was from like the nineties. It was like ancient <laughs> technology. Yeah. And then my dad was like, so stressed about it and mad. Cause like literally it was the day after we installed the Mediacom system that our house burned down. Mm -hmm. And then we just cut off Mediacom, never wow. use it again. So I did not have a good experience yeah. with Mediacom. <laughs> I mean, according to the comments, like like I said, every comment was negative. <laughs> no All of them were saying it was like a terrible move. That how could they put Mediacom's name on this? They're a terrible company. You know, why are they putting this big corporation's name on a field meant for the schools? Sure. And all this stuff about how, you know, now these students don't have a home field. It's just everybody uses the same field and it's not really needed oh. because they already have fields. And one of the comments talked about how really there was only one school that didn't really have an athletics field and why not just build them one hmm. instead of forcing all the schools to go to one field. And other comments were saying it seemed like more of a benefit to Drake than to the actual schools that were using it. Right. So I don't know. It's it, Clearly the public is against it, or at least the age group that uses Facebook <laughs> is against it because it was a lot of middle-aged adults. But yeah, I, I was just surprised at how negative all the comments were, where it was just comment after comment, right, making jokes about how it's going to be like, you know, the stadium's only going to be available half the time. Um, uh -huh. And there's going to be like, you know, it's going to need to undergo maintenance at 5 a.m., <laughs> stuff like that in relation to Mediacom. I think um, I actually came across this news uh, a bit ago. For one of my classes, I'm a placement student at Urbandale High School. Yeah. And they have, they're like one of the bigger um, schools in the Des Moines area. And uh, they have, like, a huge, you know, soccer stadium and whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, I can kind of see where they're coming from, you know? Like, Drake University doesn't really need its own soccer field. Because yeah. it's not like football is played during the yeah. summer. That and football here isn't really a draw. I mean, we have a Division One football team, but we're not fighting for any big awards, if you get what I mean. Yeah. I mean, our football program isn't super, you know, high-rated and... The football field, like you just said, is just fine for soccer. We don't really need a whole new stadium for the yeah. soccer teams. And I get uh, football and soccer. They're both fall sports. But, like, also this, the fields behind the football stadium yeah. are not that bad. And I don't know. I just don't see why we're putting all this money towards. Yeah. Like I said, a lot of those comments were also really angry about the taxpayer <laughs> aspect of it. Yeah. Where millions and millions of dollars that were put into this project. Now, granted, a lot of it came from donor money but a lot of it also came from taxpayer money and a lot of people were like you know why why is our money going to a new stadium when i'd rather my money be being put into education and improving these schools mm. the actual schools rather than just building a you know all-in-one stadium for everyone to use yeah another thing for sports like we need more i much i mean for drake i'd much rather have just a parking lot you know <laughs> yeah yeah Amen. I should be like <laughs> on the like the last of the list for like construction projects at Drake. I'd yeah. To finish off the news for the day, I want to mention the recent renaming of the College of Business and Public Administration. It has been renamed to the Zimpleman College of Business, named after Larry Zimpleman, former principal CEO, Drake alum, and top donor, alongside his wife Kathy, who is also an alum to the Ones Campaign. You guys are dying over here. <laughs> you guys don't Sorry. like the name? Uh, Zimpleman is just no, it's a funny name. Zimpleman <laughs> is a sophisticated name, oh, of course. I think. And I, I think it really fits the school of business. <laughs> Anyways, the, the point of me bringing up this story, besides the name, and I know the jury's still out on whether or not Zimpleman rolls off the tongue, but it was an interesting thing brought up by one of my business school professors who I went to the press conference where they – 
uh, revealed this name because all they said was, you know, a big announcement for the School of Business. So I went um, as part of the Times Delphic and recorded it. The point is, my professor brought up an interesting point about how swiftly the renaming was done, mm-hmm. where, you know, the socials were immediately changed. The words outside the building were like immediately changed. Everything about the College of Business, the website, everything was bang, done, right Simple. when it happened. I, everything was implemented. And what she brought up was, if Drake has the utilities and the ability to change things this fast, you know, could that be applied anywhere else where they could move a little more speedy or where they could make similar changes because it seemed so seamless with the College of Business? It wasn't a huge change. It's just a name. But yeah. yeah, you guys don't like Zimpleton. We're going to start calling all business students Zimpletons. <laughs> Zimpletons. <laughs> I think that'll stick. Anyways, I was at the uh, I was at the press conference, and he seemed nice. They seemed nice. It was all oh, like the Zimpleman yeah. guy was there. The Zimpleman guy was there. Right. You know, I mean, Marty he donated and, a lot of money. Yeah, I don't yeah, mind. Yeah. Like Drake, do everything you need to do to like get more donors. Like, yeah, yeah make this all is, these seamless. I know we talked about this in our first episode, the Ones Campaign with mm-hmm. the uh, new University Center project. That's kind of what that money is going towards. So him donating to that is kind of going towards that um, and all those improvements. So that's why they wanted to honor him after such a a big donation. And he is a Drake alum, as I said. So Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure he's a great guy. It's just um, Just a really unfortunate last name. (laughs) At the end, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I really don't mind if it's called the Mediacom Center or, I mean, we got the Hy-V Arena right now, right? And then, yeah. So as long as it's like, I just like funding. It's you, nice. you just like money? Yes. <laughs> you don't care what the name is? Right. No, I kind of care. The Mediacom is stupid. A name's a name. No, I don't like Mediacom. <laughs> I, don't ha- I don't have anything to back that up. I just don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. All right. So if you've been listening to us these past couple of weeks, you'll know this is the part of the episode where Charlie takes us for a dip in Drake University's complicated history. So take it away. So on May 7th, 1945, uh, Germany surrendered to the Allied powers in World War II. Now, the fighting continued on through August as Japan and and the U.S. continued to fight. What put an end to the war eventually was the Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project was a code name for the American effort to develop an atomic weapon during World War II, which led to the eventual bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. Creating these atomic weapons would not have been possible without the efforts of Frank Spedding and notable Drake alum Harley A. Wilhelm. Oh, wow. my God. There's the connection. <laughs> yeah. Now, Wilhelm was a basketball and baseball player at Drake University, and he was notor- a notorious— A basketball player? Yeah. He was really good at basketball. Um, he majored in math at Drake University but studied chemistry and physics as well, and he went to Iowa State for a doctorate in chemistry. Wow. During the 1930s, purified uranium could only exist in a powdered form. The Manhattan Project needed a way to create much larger quantities in a more solid metallic form. And in February 1942, they found that the project needed over 12,000 pounds of pure uranium by the December of 1942 to prove in an experiment that a controlled nuclear chain reaction was possible. The Manhattan Project bombs were plutonium bombs, and plutonium is formed in nuclear power reactors from uranium-238, which is why they needed so much uranium. There were doubts that enough material could be gathered in time for the experiment, which is where two Iowa scientists come in. Fission nuclear weapons like the ones dropped in August 1945 are powered by the split of structurally unstable atoms. The split releases energy that causes others of the same element to split as well, releasing a chain of energy that makes nuclear weapons so destructive. 
A team in Ames, Iowa, led by Wilhelm, was assigned to find a substitute for pure uranium. Now, Wilhelm um, decided, though, to also try to figure out a purification process to create pure uranium. Hmm. So they gave him a job to find a substitute, and he was like, we don't need to do that. I can just make it. Yeah. Huh. And he was successful. Jeez. And this process was dubbed the Ames process. And he essentially made it possible for uranium to be purified into a metal form to then be used in the generation of nuclear power as well as the creation of nuclear bombs. Oh, my God. The experiment only needed about 12,000 pounds, but the Ames team went on to produce more than 1,000 tons of uranium <laughs> for the Manhattan Project. The controlled chain reaction experiment on December 22nd, 1942 was successful and opened the possibility of nuclear energy for producing electricity as well as for making atomic bombs. At Hiroshima, the bomb Little Boy used high explosives to shoot one mass of uranium down a gun barrel at another uranium mass to trigger a fission reaction. Now, this detonation only needed three pounds of uranium, but there were 100 pounds of uranium in this bomb that would then scatter the explosion and cause the chain reaction. It released the equivalent of 30 million pounds of TNT at once. On August 6, 1945, the bomb immediately vaporized 70,000 people and killed 130,000 people with the nuclear fallout. The second atomic bomb, Fat Man, was bigger and more powerful and dropped on Nagasaki on August 1945, killing 40,000 people immediately and 140 within five years. Sheesh. Five days later, Japan surrendered, and the Second World War was formally closed. Wow. And this wouldn't have been possible without Drake University. Yeah. That is so unbelievable. right off the bat, let me just say, Oppenheimer comes out this year. Right. And I really part hope. of me almost <laughs> is thinking, is there any chance that this guy is going to show up in that movie? I really hope it's Josh or Peck. Or that they might mention the Ames team. They will probably mention the Ames method. Yeah. Um, just because it was so revolutionary with with allowing um, wow. nuclear energy to be used, mm -hmm. but Wilhelm himself was pretty under, yeah. like he was under the under the radar. He was yeah. a pretty humble guy. So, in short, to put this in the simplest and kind of most mind blowing terms, if it weren't without that Drake University alum, it probably eventually still would have happened. But the Manhattan Project, the atomic bomb, wouldn't have gone down the way it did. It would have at least been delayed. Yeah. Now, the Manhattan Project started because of rumors that um, both the Germans and the Russians were working on nuclear bombs. Yeah. Yeah. But by this point, Germany had surrendered. So, um, and Wilhelm was quoted to have said, where would we be today if Russia had gotten the atomic bomb first? We'd probably be worse off than if Germany had gotten it first. So there was still very much that fear Mm -hmm. um, they were racing against the clock to be the first one to develop an atomic yeah. weapon. And it, they did. And it and, caused untold destruction. Yeah. And kind of to break it down a little more, why was that so important to get to be the first with hands on the bomb? Was it just kind of in terms of power and that if you have the first one, then you kind of control the playing field? We were the first country to successfully create the atomic bomb. Yes. We were also the first and really kind of only country to drop it on another country. Yeah. And in doing that, we kind of realized the destructive power of mm -hmm. nuclear energy. And we realized we had entered a new stage of warfare where we could destroy the entire world if we had another world war. Because this happened at the end of the world war. Yeah. This is what, you know, put a stop to the fighting formally. And I just think it's crazy that this 
was what caused us to be in like where we're at today, you know, right. with the tension between all the world powers right now. There's mm. always that constant threat of mm. a nuclear attack. Wilhelm didn't say much about uh, what he thought about his technology being used in such a way. Mm. But, I mean, there have been a lot of excerpts from the people who worked on the Manhattan Project, and they realized that they've just created the means to destroy our species, yeah. mm -hmm. which had been something that was near impossible up until um, the 20th century. Yeah. So, I mean, Wilhelm, he knew he was tasked with helping to make a nuclear bomb, right? Because he was- Yeah, he knew he was, um, he knew he was a part of the Manhattan Project. His, mm -hmm. oh, uh, the person overseeing him was Frank Spedding. So these two worked together. He was overseeing um, actually the development of like the Ames method, but Frank Spedding was directly involved with going to meetings in like Chicago um, to talk about the development of nuclear bombs and the development of nuclear energy to try and jumpstart the yeah. US economy. I'll tell you, Every time we get to this part of the podcast and you come up with a little bit of Drake history, I'm always surprised, and more now than ever, at the fact that I had no knowledge of this, that a Drake alum was so directly involved in the creation of the first atomic bomb. I mean, that's a huge, that's like, that is arguably the, the invention or the successful creation of the first atomic bomb is arguably right. the most influential invention, in discovery, invention, yeah. whatever you want to call it, in, you know, the last hundred or so years because of the impact it's played in you know uh, world power struggles and well i think part of that may have been due in part because of um just the fact of a person that wilhelm was hmm. like he was very um he didn't want like recognition for his accomplishments or anything like that yeah he was a very and this is based off like an excerpt by his granddaughter who yeah. like talked about him in oh, like wow. an interview he was very like just a man of his work and mm -hmm. he just wanted to um, be as accomplished as possible within his small circle of people who actually could understand his accomplishments yeah. and how hard he had worked. He was an incredible student, a really hardworking student. He was an incredible basketball player. I don't know, just a just an insanely right. talented and insanely motivated man. And, yeah. you know, those type of people, I feel like a lot of the time they don't advertise it. They just let their works kind of speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kind of makes me like a... Because there was, we haven't talked about Johnny Bright on the podcast yet, but no. like, there are some like very cool historic figures of Drake. Kind of makes me like wish there was like some yeah. sort of like statue of him and something yeah. like in the park. And, like they have those statues outside of fact mm -hmm. of like that random. The point of bringing this up, obviously, is the involvement of a Drake alum. And again, I I find it interesting in that you know what you said about Oppenheimer in the movie and. The possibility that a Drake alum could be mentioned <laughs> in that movie or possibly yeah. even show up. I don't know how in-depth they're going to go with it. Right. Yeah. And I do want to just kind of bring this up. This is not a smooth transition at all, but um, his granddaughter did write uh, a book called Wilhelm's Way, the inspiring story of an Iowa chemist who saved the Manhattan Project. Oh. And um, Wilhelm Hall uh, is a building at Iowa State that was named after him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Iowa State recognizes them. We should recognize them too. <laughs> yeah. Well, he did go to Iowa State to get his doctorate. Right. But he but, started here. He yeah. played basketball here. He actually came here not on an academic scholarship, but on a sports scholarship. That's wild. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't imagine like seeing somebody today like, like at a crazy cool inventor who also plays basketball. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it feels like he got who could ball like no other. <laughs> He died in 1995 at the age of 95. Oh wow! From 
Uh, I think bladder cancer is what the article said, mm -hmm. but it wasn't exactly clear. Some of his family members also contracted cancer. They think it might have been because of him working with uh, radioactive materials. Right, yeah. 95, though. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, no, he was good. <laughs> but, like, his, his kids um, did get some cancer from, they think. It's really hard to like prove. Like, inherited, yeah. It's, like, very weird science, I Yeah, guess. but he would come home with, like, radioactive material on his clothes and stuff uh, like that. Well, an interesting story, obviously. And I guess keep your eyes out for the Oppenheimer movie and if the Ames uh, method, the Ames team, or Willem himself is mentioned. But yeah, thank you for bringing that story up. Thank you for listening to this conversation. To support this podcast, please follow the Drake Broadcasting System on any social media platforms you use.